0: Hey, Haley. Yeah, Alyssa? Are you ready to change the narrative around women's sports? Let's do it.
1: You are listening
2: to Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski, and this is the Iron Women Podcast, a production from Live Feisty Media. Haley and Alyssa are longtime professional triathletes and coaches. Between them, they have completed more than 50 iron distance races and just as many 70.3s. Their accomplished careers include nine professional wins
1: and one fastest known time.
0: Haley, do I have to tell the listeners how many of those wins are mine? Nah, we'll keep that between us.
1: The Iron Women Podcast
2: has a Patreon community which helps support our podcast. If you love the podcast, check us out at patreon.com forward slash livefeisty. And don't forget to tell a friend.
1: Now, let's get to the show.
0: Women is proud to be supported by Form Goggles in 2020. Form Goggles are the only swim goggles with a smart display that delivers metrics like split times, distance, pace, and more. And it's built right into the goggle lens.
1: You can also analyze your metrics outside of the pool with the Form Swim app. Because what triathlete doesn't love data? Head to formswim.com to learn more about the Form Swim Goggles and pick up the missing link to your swim bag. Alyssa, what do popsicles, jello, and slushies all have in common? Hmm, they all taste like summer? Yes, but also they can all be made with noon hydration sport tabs. I have to say, it seems like the perfect way to fully embrace summer while staying properly hydrated. Agreed. If you want to
0: make your own noon popsicles, jello, or slushies, head to noonlife.com and use the code LIVEVEISTY. That's one word with a capital L and a capital F to get 30% off your order. Also check out Noon's new podium series for pre-workout prime, during workout endurance and post-workout recover products.
1: That's code livefeisty at noonlife.com for 30% off and be sure to let us know about all your summertime tasty Noon hydration creations.
0: Hi Haley, how's it going this week? What
1: have you been up to? Alyssa, I think I have not been up to nearly as much as you have because I hear you did a race this past weekend.
0: I did we manage i say we the um local trail running club I don't even think they put it on necessarily, but it's a local race here um the Germans International Marathon, which they're like jokingly saying is one of the only world major marathons to have happened this year still, um, actually did happen on Saturday. And I was lucky enough to get a spot. I actually was on the wait list until about a month ago and then came off the wait list because it's a very small race as it was. So I figured that had some pretty good odds of actually happening. And if you are a loyal listener to the Iron Women podcast, you will remember back in May when I did the five days of Jarmans, where I did one lap of Jarmans Gap Road, two, three, four, five on my own. Um, and this race, like I kind of, I guess, had that seed even planted in my head because I knew that they do this race, which is five laps of the road. But to make that even worse, they do it starting at noon, the first Saturday in August, and we live in Charlottesville, Virginia. So you can imagine the summertime weather that you get at noon in August is like hell in a handbasket. Is that, is that the right? Well, it's just like hell, really, because it's like so hot and awful. No handbasket needed. <laughs> and yeah, there there are no handbaskets on Jarvin's cap this year. Haley, so anyway, I got a spot. I wanted to do the run because I figured, one, like what else am I doing with my life? Two, um, it came at a good point where like I would be fit for it. And I knew it was just going to be really painful and awful. And I think that practicing doing hard, awful things like that can be good for like – you know, mental toughness and other things that I'll be taking on. So I raced, and at first, I have to say, I thought I I was getting, like, an easy year at Jarman's because the day before was pretty cool, and then, like, showing up that morning, it was kind of, like, cooler, overcast skies, like the sun wasn't blazing on us, like, whatever. And um, it's a small race, like I said, and they were able to have it by saying... No spectators, no crew, no nothing. Like, usually you can have friends and family come, and people could run a loop with you, whatever, and it's just kind of a fun time. But this year, they put a kibosh on all of that. So it was really just, I think, around 40 or so people running, and then a few, like, a handful of volunteers and stuff helping put it on. Everyone had to wear masks at the start and like the gathering areas. And then when you were coming through an aid station at the top and the bottom of the mountain, you had to pull your, most people were wearing buffs. You had to have like your buffer, your mask on. And otherwise though, Jarman's gap is like a generally, it's definitely six feet wide. So there's plenty of room for, it's probably like 10 feet wide at least, um, plenty of room for staying distant while you're running and, People spread out so fast. I mean, you're climbing 1,500 feet in three miles, so groups of people definitely were not a concern. And it was super fun, like, just to get to see some of the local community I haven't seen in a long time. They also started us in waves, which, like, waves for a 40-person race is pretty funny, but another good safety pr- protocol that I think they they used. Anyway, I was seated in the, in the first wave, Haley, and it was as if I've never raced before because I went out, like, a bat out of hell, like, oh, I'm going to race, like, this guy today that I've never seen and has holes cut in his shirt to stay cool and like looks like he's Jim Walmsley, like running as fast as he can up this mountain. And I paid for that dearly, Haley. So I said I, I was like a little afraid that we were getting an easy weather year at Jarman's, which was not the case. So we the clouds on loop three disappeared. The sun came out. It was like blazing. You could just feel the thickness of the humidity. And everyone just like basically was imploding by their third lap and it was it was pretty crazy. So but it was a good reminder. Actually, I finally got the data off my garment today to like kind of look at what happened. And it was a good reminder that it's never as bad as it sometimes can feel like it is, especially when it's like the heat that's making you slow down like that. Um, my slowdown factor actually wasn't as bad as I had imagined it to be in that moment, but it was fun. Five times up and down. Um, I definitely did not get faster as I went along, but I did manage the Queen of the Mountain title. And again, as a fun like local race, this made me really love local racing and want to return, even though as painful as this race is. The tradition at the end of Jarmans is they give you a beer and a cup. And so you pour the beer into the cup and they like it's up to you if you want to drink it or not. But then you have to crush the beer can and then they have like a tool to make a hole in your beer can. And then you put a string through that and that's your finisher metal. So that was like a fun tradition I got to partake in. Usually they said it's Bud Light, but this year they like upped the ante a little bit and it was Corona, Corona, I think regular Corona. And then they also mounted like a can of Corona onto a wooden board for me as my that's like the the award so it was really fun more than anything just to see the the local community and to just get out there and like yeah race really hard again and to just have that like nervous feeling the noon start time was crazy I don't have if you ever had a noon start time for a race Haley the Olympic trials oh yeah (laughs) that was well played I wish I had like set up that question but I I was kind of being an ass there, but
1: um I wait, I want to ask about Queen of the Mountain. Does that mean you won? Or that does that mean you oh, have yeah, the fastest yes. rep?
0: Well, so I wa- I was the first woman. I was third overall, though, Haley. So I beat a lot of men um, out there, and they some of them took it better than others, I would say. I could see it um in some of the the um angst, I would say. I would call it some angst out there as they. Realized that they were not going to be able to beat me. Um, But I mean, I think that I paid my dues on Jarmans and it paid off for me now. Going back to that noon start, because when you, you've done five Jarmans before, you did it
1: not even that long ago during this pandemic, but I assume you did not start at noon on that day, but you were going in a little more fatigued. How did the noon start? Did it compare? What was your total time? It was a minute slower than when I did it in May. (laughs) but but that's just hot weather like makes a
0: difference yeah and it's crazy i mean the the pacing of it was totally totally different like i i definitely got actually faster in may as i went like my loops got better and then here it was like i had a quite a big cushion to go under 5 hours and i i did i got like too confident in those early laps cuz the course record's 459 so i was like i think i can do this today And I went out so hot and I had a lot of time in the bank. And my first, my fastest loop was the second fastest I've ever run up Jarman's Gap, which probably in itself, like says that probably wasn't a good strategy. And that was about 31 minutes. And then my slowest lap was 40 minutes. So, I mean, that's a big differential over three miles. But I did check out some of the um, Strava data from, the guy that won and his slowdown was like way worse than mine. The men's race came down to only 20 seconds. So that was like crazy to see them like barreling down the mountain going head to head, like after 29 miles to see who was going to actually get to the bottom fast enough. So I was, I have to say, I was kind of glad that that wasn't (laughs) the situation for me.
1: Well, congratulations. And I, I, I'm glad you, you got to put that fitness to good use and, those men should be honored that they got to run with you and got to be beat by you because you are no slouch at Jarmans. That is like, I feel like they need to rename that road. (laughs) Godeskis.
0: I have the, um, I have the, you know, like the local legends on Strava now. Like if you do certain things more than other people, I, somehow I don't have, the local legend Ascent but I have the local legend Descent on Jarvis <laughs> which I actually kind of appreciate because because someone got a ride down if someone yeah like if someone ever steals that from me I'll like yeah I'll get a ride up and then just run down a couple times like do it that way so I feel like that's pretty secure I guess but Haley one other weird part about the noon start time was that this was like I mean after a hot race like that I would want nothing more than to like go to uh my pool or like an open water swim situation that I've been especially looking forward to with the form goggles update that just came out. And I, by the time I like finished and everything else, all of the pool times were gone and it was getting dark almost. So I couldn't go um, test out my form goggles open water swimming yet, but I am looking forward to some recovery swimming this week and using those in the open water to check out that new... GPS update where you can like see the distance that you're swimming in the open water. Have you had a chance yet to try that out? Alyssa, that makes two of us who have not had a chance. So I did plan to open
1: water swim last Friday. I had like a little going away party at the lake, but there was uh algae and it was unclear whether it was toxic algae. I find it I'm skeptical on it being toxicology because it's like 60 degrees. Maybe someone can write in and let me know. Can there be? Can cyanobacteria live at six, in 60 degree water? I don't know. But I had also already swum that morning, and so I was there mostly to socialize. So I went in the water. Um, I didn't. Wouldn't really call what I did swimming. And I had planned this week to um, do like my 5K open water swim in solidarity with my friends who are swimming in in uh, Georgia, but. I got to check on this health department testing and see what they say. Cause I, yeah, don't need to get sick right now, but I am excited. Eventually it will clear up and it will, uh, I'll be able to get out in the open water and try that new update with the form swim goggles because I, um, I'm excited about it. Like the idea of having that metric right in front of you. Cause I feel like when you're swimming in open water, it's always like, you feel like you're not moving at all. And so it might be kind of nice to have like something right in front of your face saying like you are making forward progress, but definitely everyone check out formswim.com. You can update if you already have the goggles, you can update them through the app and through the formswim app. And then, uh, let us know right into our mailbag. If you have, if you have been able to try it, we will, uh, we'd love to hear about it. Ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com is our mailbag and, uh, formswim.com is where you can find the goggles.
0: Haley, did you have anything else exciting happening this week with – or did you take a recovery week after your birthday run? How did that all play out? I ended up taking more recovery time than I thought because of the birthday run. I was quite sore. And then um,
1: I was – there actually was a race. And I don't know if I would call it a local race. It was three and a half hours away. There was a sprint distance race that I – I briefly considered doing, um, it was on Saturday. It was supposed to close. The registration was supposed to close at noon on Friday. So at 11 AM on Friday, I sat down at the computer planned to register and it only would let me register for the kids race. Like the actual sprint (laughs) race wasn't up. And I did like text a couple of the people who I knew were going, they were like, Oh, the race director said you can sign up on site. But I just kind of felt like it was a sign that three and a half hours of driving, maybe being able to register for a sprint race and then three and a half hour drive back. I just didn't quite have my shit together to be perfectly honest to do that. And, um, I do know a couple other people who went, said it was great. I think it was very small, well-run, um, people felt safe and it was a very small race in Montana. So I think that, that helped, um, you know, keep safety and health, health protocols in place. But, um, so we are seeing some of these, uh, these like small races pop up local races, which I think is is a good sign. I did a mini episode with uh, Sarah Bishop earlier this week, um, one of our favorites, and she's certainly found every race and she will definitely drive more than three and a half hours. She has much more of a tolerance for time in the car than I do. So I will let Sarah tell her racing stories. You can tell your Jarman stories and I will talk about life in Bozeman <laughs>
0: Well, in the meantime, Haley, races or not, it's a good time to be continuing kind of our theme of personal challenges and conquering those this year, whether it's something in your backyard like Jarman's Gap or um, loops around your lake like some of our other listeners and, you know, things like that. We actually just caught up with um, one of our live feisty colleagues, Lindsay, and she was telling us about her five days challenge that she actually put together. She like crushed this um, mountain biking loop that was 14 kilometers with like, now that I gave kilometers, I should give kilometers for the other thing, 700 meters Meters. (laughs) of climbing each loop. And then she did one to five of that, which is by the end, like quite an accumulation. So I was excited to talk to Lindsay about that, but we, we still love hearing about those types of challenges. If you are doing them and as an extra incentive for you, we have a giveaway from Zelios over the next couple of weeks you can partake in. That's
1: right. We want to hear about your pandemic challenges. And to reward you for taking these challenges and putting them together, we are giving three lucky listeners a tube of Zelios Active Recovery Race Relief. This is their new cold therapy gel. It's for muscle aches, pains, and sore joints. It's kind of a. Uh, Uh, it is like cooling. Alyssa, I've used it. It, um, it goes on cool and like helps with any sore muscles because if you are like Lindsay and you did a 14 hour day in the saddle, you are probably a little sore and you might need some, uh, some nice cooling therapy. So to win, what you have to do is you have to write into our mailbag at email address, which is ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you did. You don't need to do a five-day challenge. Just do some kind of pandemic challenge. Maybe something you you wouldn't do if you were in the thick of race season. Or maybe you do. Maybe you do challenges all the time. But tell us what you did. Some unique kind of, uh, or not unique. I mean, I guess you could tell us you went for like a mile run. But, which could, you know, that could be good too. But tell us what you did. And we will pick three lucky winners to get a tube of race relief. And um, this is going through Sunday, August 23rd. So you have a couple of weeks to figure out your challenge, do your challenge and tell us about your challenge. And we will pick three lucky winners. I'm excited. Alyssa, are you going to enter? Are you going to find another challenge?
0: Haley, I do have a pretty big challenge that I'm going to need a lot of race relief to help me through um, coming up, but keep tuned in. like Our listeners need to stay tuned in. I'll be telling more about that in the coming weeks, but um, it's definitely a good one. And In the meantime, if you are looking for any other um, great products for your skin, for the shower, chamois cream, for riding, all of that, head to teamzelios.com and get 15% off with the code IRONWOMEN. And Alyssa,
1: we have a great interview this week, and I think you are going to do the honors of introducing our guest. Who
0: are we talking to? Yes, Haley, we had so much fun talking to professional triathlete and registered dietitian Erin Green. We brought her on to talk to us about nutrition myths and methodologies, some of which, especially as women, we can pay particular attention to. She also gives us some tips for meal prep, which I found especially helpful in this time when I'm cooking at home more than ever. Erin recently retired from professional triathlon. So we also checked in with her about what she's been up to and how that transition to retirement has gone. And we'll hear from Erin after a word from our sponsors next. Triathlon is certainly hard on your skin, without a doubt. That was
1: Teresa Helsel, dermatologist, PA and accomplished triathlete. Earlier this year, Teresa came on the podcast to offer skincare advice specific to triathletes.
0: Teresa's two biggest tips were to avoid sunburn and chafing, and luckily, Iron Women podcast listeners get fifteen percent off all Zelio skincare products, including Sun Barrier SPF forty-five zinc-based sunscreen and Betwixt Athletic Skin Lubricant and Chamois Cream.
1: Use the code Iron at TeamZelio.com for fifteen percent off, and use Zelio's products to protect your skin during all your swim, bike, run fun.
0: Erin, welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So we are really excited to dig into all of the topics with you today, but first up is nutrition. And so you are a registered dietitian and we'll start with that because I would love it if you could explain and like talk us through the differences between someone who's a dietitian, a nutritionist, a registered dietitian. Is that even different? There's always a lot of like uh, letters floating around and things like that. So Tell us kind of maybe what each of those mean.
2: Yes. Thank you so much for asking, because this is a question I actually get a lot. And it surprises me how few people actually know what a what the difference is between a nutritionist and a registered dietitian. So all registered dietitians are nutritionists. If you think of the term nutritionist, it's like a, a umbrella term for like any expert in nutrition or anybody who knows about nutrition. However, A registered dietitian has to go through a very rigorous accreditation process and has to meet certain curriculum in order to sit for the exam that is approved by a governing body, um, similar to, you know, how like a CPA or somebody would have to go through that process or doctors or lawyers or whoever have to sit down and, and take an exam and We actually, registered dietitians, have a whole host of schooling requirements that we have to go through. So it's not just learning about nutrition and the body and health. We go through food service rotations. We all go through clinical rotations, and we have um, certain criteria we have to meet for those. Um, A lot of us have basically volunteer hours that you have to meet a certain number of hours through your schooling um, in order to sit for the exam and to even be eligible. And then there is continuing education that you have to fulfill to re-up your accreditation um, every five years. So I would say it's far more thorough. You know what you're getting. When you work with a registered dietitian, you can anticipate that that person has gone through an accreditation process that has been vetted and um, continues to be innovated depending on the science and depending on you know best practices that come out. And we're a very connected community. So registered dietitians are awesome at networking and sharing ideas and keeping up on the research. Whereas a nutritionist, you know, somebody can call themselves a nutritionist and you can't really be sure what kind of schooling they've received to call themselves a nutritionist or, you know, what kind of credential criteria they've met for that. I've met a lot of people who are nutrition experts who aren't registered dietitians and they know their stuff. But you really have to kind of dig in and talk to them and and find out where they got that experience and that schooling.
1: Erin, you are much more than a registered dietitian because you are also an elite athlete. As we continue this conversation, do you have a core philosophy about eating for sports performance that aligns with the advice that you give and the perspective we'll hear today on the podcast?
2: Yeah, I I think probably the most common phrase i've used to illustrate that is all foods fit so i'm a very inclusive dietitian when it comes to foods um i'm not on a special diet or a special regimen I'm very fortunate that I don't have any intolerances or allergies, even though people ask me that because I think sometimes that's where people get interested in nutrition is because they have you know, some kind of restriction. I'm very moderate in my approach to, to diet, especially when I was racing professionally. I was very protective about the timing of nutrients, what kinds of foods I put in my body in terms of what I knew my body needed not in terms of like, oh this food is good, this food isn't. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. and it, there's a lot that goes into it besides just the nutrients you put in your body. so I I like to talk about you know the satisfaction factor and um, family traditions and you know maybe individual preferences and and what's even available to people. you know you have to get creative there so.
0: And Erin, every day on the internet, obviously, like you can go onto Twitter and you'll see a ton of headlines and articles, it seems like every day telling us like one will say to eat carbs, one will say to avoid carbs, one says high fat's good, one says salt is the enemy, all of this information is out there. I also feel like every article I look at has like some kind of study, right, to prove it. And so when I was looking at your website, it said that you use evidence-based guidelines. And so I guess I'm just curious kind of what that means and why is it that that is how you construct your recommendations? So, you know, like, are these the same evidences that are found in all these articles we could be finding on the Internet? Like, what does that mean exactly? Yeah.
2: Oh, that's a really good question because you're right. There's a lot of different types of evidence, right? So we have, you know, the peer reviewed research, and then you can, you can get into the hierarchy of um, studies and, and their validity and all that stuff. And then you can talk about anecdotal evidence, right? So like your neighbor says, Oh, I tried this new diet and it really worked for me or your coworker. Um, You can talk about, you know, experiential evidence. So your own experiences and how you get to know you know, your relationship with food and, and what works for your body. When I say evidence-based, I really take my understanding of the science available and the literature. So a lot of this is not just peer reviewed literature, but the different recommendations from various governing bodies and how those recommendations evolve. So nutrition is an evolving, evolving science. And if you, you know, ignore the, the new studies and science coming out, you're going to get behind very quickly. So it's kind of taking this wide body of evidence and then making recommendations for the individual. I think a lot of times when you see one or two studies, like be wary if you read an article that says this study showed or this study proves this or one study out of, you know, maybe it sounds like a, a very prominent um, university or or group. That's just one study. How many people did they look at in that study? What kinds of parameters did they use? You know, unless you have that very scientific mind, it's really hard for the layperson to just go in and dig into these studies and understand, you know, is this strong evidence or did they cherry pick the results and kind of leave out other results? And also the way the media spins this stuff. I mean, I could probably Google search something to support any argument I wanted to make on nutrition, you know, so I could go on and be like, oh, carbohydrates for fueling exercise. You know, and search it and you'll find a whole bunch of stuff that supports your your theory. The difference is looking at the other side of things, too, and really digging into that evidence and also work with the individual. I mean, I will work with people based on those recommendations that are very broad. And then we start working down to the individual level on that.
1: Okay. So I think this is a really, really interesting topic because I think last year when we talked to Christia Schwanden about recovery, she talked about how she did her own study on beer in recovery (laughs) and then realized that she got this result where it said beer helped women recover faster after exercise, but didn't help men. And then she was like, you know what? Like taking a step back, looking at her sample size, looking at how they ran it, like it was, the control was very obviously not beer, like all these kind of things. And it was very interesting. So I think that's what you're saying about this. And and so it, it sounds like what you're saying is, this is the value of working with a registered dietitian because you can kind of help kind of get through those weeds and figure out, yeah, this is a true study, but it does not apply to you because it was all done on men over 65.
2: Yes, yes. And that's a really good point because when you find an expert to work with, that you trust. It's just like coaching, right? I mean, you can google all kinds of information on how do I, you know, become a better runner or how do I, you know, get faster on the bike, but working with a coach who can kind of sift through some of that stuff and be like, "Well, yeah, you may have found like this one study that says you need to do this or this one person's opinion, but then the expert can kind of guide you and answer those questions." And and I actually love when clients come to me with a challenging question that sort of does I guess, not really go against, you know, my popular practices or anything, but really just challenges me to dig into some of the research and really find the answer for them. I mean, that's what I went to school for, too, is to be able to read that that research and find the answers and translate that to uh, recommendations for people.
0: Speaking of helping us translate um, recommendations for people... <laughs> Um, we had a question, I guess this was about a year ago now, probably that came into our mailbag about intermittent fasting. And so, um, we kind of stumbled our way through talking about this as non experts in the field. And so we actually, you know, it's been in our minds ever since then, like how we probably could have gotten an expert opinion on this to help us like truly explain that and talk about what it is. Is it good or bad for endurance athletes and all that thing? I'm sure there's listeners out there who are still wondering about this because Haley and I surely did not tie that up for them. So um, can you walk us through the topic of intermittent fasting for endurance athletes?
2: Sure. Well, the first thing I would probably ask someone if they were coming to me wanting to try intermittent fasting or having questions about it is what do you hope to accomplish? what's your goal with trying the intermittent fasting because some people do it because they want to lose weight. Some people do it because they believe it will boost their hormone production. Some people think that it will, um, change them metabolically so they can focus more on fat burning instead of carbohydrate utilization during exercise. And yes, we have some evidence that says intermittent fasting can help with all of these things. However, a lot of that evidence with large populations is in the obese population, and not necessarily with endurance athletes. So when you look at the more robust studies that have some pretty significant results from intermittent fasting, they're usually not on a generally healthy individual who's engaging in high-level sport or endurance sports. Now, you know, some people will argue they they feel a difference; they're not as hungry as frequently. When it comes to the individual results, I'll, I'll kind of roll with that. I remember one client who was very adamant that he wanted to try this and he was like, just really set on doing it. So I went and researched several different intermittent fasting protocols, and there are a lot of different protocols out there. You know, there's some that have entire days that you're fasting. There are some that have you eat from 10 AM to 3 PM and that, and then you're fasting the rest of the time. There's a lot of different ways to do it with endurance athletes. I guess The main concerns I have are one, especially if we're talking about triathletes or multi sport, you're typically doing more than one workout a day. So when we're looking at really fueling that workout and maximizing your body's adaptations to training, I mean, some people get really focused on the metabolic adaptations they're trying to make with intermittent fasting, but we also, we can't neglect the adaptations your body is trying to make to training right? So that aerobic capacity and muscular strength or endurance or whatever you're working on. So if people are having multiple sessions a day, and then they kind of cut their eating window down to this very narrow um, scope in the day, we not only see that they're probably going to be underfueled and probably feel like crap, honestly, in at least one of those workouts, which can, again, affect the adaptations because you're not able to nail the workout as well if you're feeling cruddy. But also I worry about when I look at an athlete's needs in 24 hours, calorie needs, carbohydrate, protein, micronutrient needs, fiber, fluid needs, even it could definitely impact that daily um, intake on the whole. So if people are cutting down their eating window to a certain amount, um, even if it's a pretty, you know, I've heard of some pretty, I would say, liberal Intermittent fasting protocols where, you know, you basically just delay breakfast and you don't eat until like 11 a.m., but then you just have a regular eating day the rest of the time. I still am not, I'm not convinced that the benefits are worth the trade-off because what we tend to see is even if there is a very slight metabolic shift where the body is relying more on fatty acids and and sparing um, carbohydrate, that hasn't been equated to improved performance. So we might be seeing these biomarkers shift, but you don't necessarily see a performance benefit. And so then we have to look at, well, what other trade-offs are we are we giving up? You know, my my client I referenced earlier really wanted to have family dinner and a beer after his mountain bike rides in the evening. And so he he like was very conscious of, I enjoy these parts of my life, and it's important for me to be able to like have my mountain bike ride and my beer and enjoy things. And so, his fasting window was earlier in the day. I think that the important point there is that we're all human beings, and you have to look at how the eating experience ties into the rest of your life, too. It's not as simple as just taking nutrients and finding a specific time frame or a specific protocol to just stick them in, you know, the eating experience is is very different. So I do worry about food relationship, you know, possible disordered eating, that possible mindset that more is better. And so some people will fast for entire weekends or something like that and kind of do some crazy stuff. And for women, the effects can actually be worse than than men. I don't know if you want me to go into some of the gender specific stuff. But
1: I do want to get into that in a little bit. But um, first of all, thank you for answering that because it has haunted me for more than a year. But fasted workouts in general, like how do you feel about that? Like if you don't have time for breakfast before getting out the out on the road for a run, is that bad?
2: That's a great question. I think it really depends on the person because, so I mean, I can tell you my N equals one story of me. I tried it uh, with various either with a, a, swim workout or a bike workout or a run workout. And in my experience, I swam like complete crap. If I didn't eat just a little bit, have a little bit of carbohydrate before that workout. I mean, we're talking like a, a ripe banana. I mean, it was so easy and, and simple, um, handful of Cheerios, something like that for a lot of people, when it comes to the run workout, I think it's much more reasonable because people have so many gut issues going into the run. I think it is reasonable for people to get up in the morning, not have anything to eat before they start their run. But then I encourage people, if your workout is more than 60 minutes, you need to be taking some kind of fuel with you um, and make sure that you start your fueling regimen as you start running. So for a lot of people that do have the gut issue is the reason why they're wanting to start that workout fasted. I would probably say take a little sports drink with you, take, you know, whatever, some chews, something that's easy on your stomach or that, you know, you can digest and just start kind of, I don't know, half hour into the run, maybe take a little bit of carbohydrate and just kind of start getting that into your system. I don't encourage or, um, you know, actually it's very tricky to find ways to, with multi-sport athletes to try and find ways that they can do a workout fasted because they often have, two a days, or even three a days, depending on the day. Um, so then you'd have to get into like the intricacies of how do we plan these meals and meet your needs and get the protein you need for this and get enough calories and have a fasted workout so you can't eat this many hours beforehand. It really becomes very
0: complicated. In triathlon, you hear the, the saying that nutrition is the fourth discipline, right? And so that's probably true for not only fueling during racing and training, but also like literally everyday life fueling and eating. But do you find that some athletes don't feel like they're elite enough to worry a lot about their diet to the extent that they should. And so like why would it be important for all athletes of all abilities and levels to be kind of mindful of that diet and nutrition piece and not just you know the pros at the very pointy end of the field? I have a saying that we're all
2: human beings first. So we know the basics of nutrition that make a healthy human. We know we need to be eating lots of color, good fruit and vegetable intake. Uh, We know lean proteins, whole grains, you know, beans and legumes, nuts and seeds, dairy. Those are all the, the basics, right? Include those foods, stick to, you know, lesser processed foods most of the time. Enjoy your favorite maybe highly processed foods or um, those that don't have a lot of nutrients to offer, have those in moderation, fit those in as you like. With people who are not in the elite level of sport, I think a lot of times there, there does become a little bit of this complacency like, Oh, it doesn't really matter. Um, I will tell you that I've worked with a number of athletes. Some people think that I only work with like high level athletes and I actually work with a lot of, just recreational or weekend warriors. And when I start kind of working with them on just the first place I start is regular meals and snacks when appropriate. So let's just kind of adapt a little bit of a schedule and a routine and within their, their typical day when they tend to work out. And so we'll kind of adjust the types of meals, the types of foods to fuel their workout, and then maybe fit some snacks in where that needs to happen depending on hunger, depending on the person's hunger. Um, but also depending on nutrient needs too, because for example, chances are people could always use another vegetable serving in their day, or they could always use another fruit serving, you know? So that might be a good target for like a snack. People will come back to me and just be like, I'm a new person. Like they didn't know what they were missing by just neglecting nutrition, you know, completely. And a lot of people just don't put any thought into it. They just eat when they're hungry and they kind of just eat whatever is easy or whatever they've always eaten or whatever's available. And they just don't know the value of putting the right kind of fuel in your body. So I think it's important for everybody to learn those skills. And gosh, if you could feel better when you're you know, living your life, why wouldn't you do it?
1: Aaron, I had a coach once say, "Triathlon is not a weight loss program," (laughs) and I think his thought was, you know, was the idea that you need to make sure you're eating enough to fuel your performance, and so your goal shouldn't be weight loss. But a lot of people do get into triathlon with the goal of weight loss. Is that possible? Oh, sure. I mean, it's possible. Like, (laughs) it just depends on how
2: how people achieve that weight loss, right? So weight loss, I mean, if we boil it down to the very basic level, it's creating an energy deficit. So your body is using more energy than it's taking in. You can definitely achieve that when you're training hard for a triathlon, or even if you're not training hard, you're just going out and doing, you know, all three sports. Of course, you can achieve that. The question is, is it benefiting your health? That's my first question. Is it benefiting your performance at all? And how are you achieving this? So again, back to like a protocol, like intermittent fasting, if people are ignoring or denying their, their biological hunger cues, you know, for over half a day in order to achieve weight loss, I think that that's kind of a red flag. We need to address that in a different way. Um, If people are eliminating entire food groups, so, you know, people go crazy on like, oh, sugar's bad. So they don't eat any carbs, like any grains, any fruit you know, and really cut dairy. And then we're seeing some other nutrient deficits from that. So I guess it depends on how they're trying to achieve the weight loss. I really think when people are seeking weight loss, it's really great to be clear on what you're hoping to gain by losing the weight. Okay. So, so what do you think you're, how do you think you're going to feel when you lose that weight? Is there weight to lose? I mean, from a healthy standpoint, is there weight to lose there? I love hearing stories that people got into multi-sport triathlon, any, any sport really, and they found a new, healthier self that they didn't know existed. It happened to result in weight loss. Maybe they knew they needed to probably work on their physical health. I think those stories are really just totally inspiring. And I love hearing them. I have several friends who have gone down that road. I think if people are I guess joining the multi-sport community and hating it, like they hate running. I hear that a lot. I hate running, but it's the best way to lose weight. I'm all about like, okay, let's find a happier place for you to be when you're going on this health journey, right? And so let's find the foods that you enjoy eating. Let's find activity that brings you joy so that you don't feel like you're punishing yourself every time that you're just trying to lose more weight.
0: And earlier you touched on the fact that there will be differences in your recommendations, maybe for women and men. And we have had Dr. Stacey Sims on the podcast and are aware that our eating can align with our hormones to maximize performance. So do you agree with that? And are, you know, what would be the top things that women specifically can be paying attention to in terms of their diet and nutrition, whether it's fueling every day or fueling, you know, while racing? Yeah, oh, Stacy
2: Sims, gosh, I don't know if I can add any more wisdom <laughs> to what she has. Um and I I've read a ton. I follow her on social media. I've I've listened to just about every podcast she's been on. And I think there's a lot of validity to women modifying their nutrition approaches to embrace their hormonal cycle. It's no wonder that we, you know, kind of joke about like cravings during, you know, while you're PMSing or like that, you, know, you like get the hankering for chocolate or salty or something during those high hormone phases. Um, it's now we have scientific evidence that says, Oh, estrogen acts in these ways. And it's, it's actually for performance. It's uh glycogen sparing. And so estrogen will, um, kind of force your body to rely more on fatty acids, which is fine if you're like going for a hike or you're doing some very low intensity um, long endurance activity. But if you're doing something higher intensity or you're trying to do a workout that's like, you know, threshold efforts or VO2 efforts or trying to hit certain paces, you might have to really supplement with more carbs during that workout and even before that workout um, to make sure that your body has that carbohydrate on board because physiologically it's really trying to conserve and save that carbohydrate. I also think from, a, from an emotional and psychological standpoint that food releases neurotransmitters and it can make you feel better. So if your mood is kind of crummy and you're feeling low, food is a way to boost that. It's not the only way to boost that. And that's important to be aware of, but there's no shame or harm in enjoying some chocolate or enjoying you know, whatever that salty thing is that you're kind of craving and just satisfy that and honor it and and be cool with it. I know that Stacey has talked a lot about sodium um, and uh, thermoregulation when we have high hormone phases for women. Um, And that's something I actually experienced myself the hard way. I think the last year, so the last two years that I raced pro, I had my period, day one of my period, every single Ironman I did in 2018. I know, I see your guys' faces. It's like tragic. (laughs) And... I was like, what a, what a, how did I get dealt this hand? And I I had a couple friends that felt like absolute rock stars on day one. So they were like psyched when they'd get it. And I just felt like complete crud. And I had major problems with hydration, with heat regulation, with fueling. And so I, I really dove into the Stacey Sims research and I actually like sought out the help of another dietitian Cause I was like, girl, I need, I need to figure this out. And I clearly don't have the answers. And so I, I did like a lot more sodium during those races. I really like pushed the fluids, um, worked harder on getting more simple carbohydrates. Um, the sports drink actually is, you know, absorbed very quickly can, instead of like a, a more solid fuel source. So that's something that, you know, people could look at to kind of keep that glycogen or that, um, sorry, that glucose on board.
1: I just wanted to recap that a little bit. So you were saying like in the higher, higher estrogen phases, the luteal phase this is like the last two weeks of your cycle. And maybe even going into that first day, day one of your period, that is when you need more carbs, those like simple sugars. Like if you have a race during that time, that's something you should focus on. Yeah. And so
2: estrogen actually uh, spikes during ovulation, which is kind of like that um, sort of middle part I think it's day on the, when you look at the chart, it's like days 10 to 14, I think is when estrogen is starting to really peak. So that might be a, a high hormone, like you might need some more carbs there and you might kind of notice a difference in your ability to do that higher intensity stuff. And then you're right. Yes. Before your period, before the day one, um, is when you do have another rise in estrogen, it kind of like dips just a little bit after os- ovulation and then estrogen and progesterone spike again. When Stacy talks about it, she, she kind of talks about it as like a premenstrual, like that estrogen is highest during like when some of us might experience PMS. So that might be, you know, a few days before we start bleeding. And then by day one, the hormones just come like falling down basically. And so we return to what we might equate to sort of a male type of physiology in terms of like our hormone levels. So that's why like on day one, there are some women that just feel like warriors, not me. <laughs> but <laughs> um, but then, you know, as Stacy points out, there are some women that really feel amazing during ovulation. Like they don't notice a, a difference at all. So I think one of the most valuable things is to start tracking your cycle and just really be aware of where I'm at in the phases. And I mean, I think anybody who's uh, been training for long periods of time or has been racing for years, can kind of feel when their body is off or like when they're when they're really nailing something or when they just can't hit, you know, paces or or workouts to save their lives. And sure, look at look at sleep, look at recovery, look at the training cycle and all that. But tracking your menstrual cycle as a as a woman is um, I think really helpful for that too.
1: And you also add that it doesn't just because historically on a certain day you might not feel well doesn't mean that if that if your race Happens on that day, you're just done for. Totally, there are ways to even just with nutrition, like you said, sodium to help still have your best performance on a not not ideal day. Yeah, and you know one other
2: thing that uh, Stacy talks about is so we didn't talk about amino acids, but um, leucine is probably the big one. With it. I mean, anybody who's in the sports world has probably heard of branched chain amino acids, specifically leucine, um, that actually. Um, can really have an impact on recovery for women. And it can have an impact on attenuating the estrogen effect on the brain. So when women tend to feel kind of flat or foggy, or just like you're, you can't remember where you put something or you, you know, you can't concentrate very well, taking a branched chain amino acid supplement um, that has the adequate leucine could, could help with that. Um, And just full disclosure, I don't, push supplements lightly. So that's not something I'm a food first kind of person. Um, so you could focus on um, you know, like whey protein is probably the gold standard when it comes to that, but you could focus just on really targeting some good protein sources multiple times throughout the day. So we're talking like 20 to 30 grams like five times a day, which if you're eating meat like chicken or fish or something like that, it's not that hard to hit. If you're a vegetarian, it will take a little bit more um, concentration, getting the legumes in there and maybe eggs and that kind of thing. If you're vegan, it will take even more concentration. And, um, and then possibly that's where like a supplement might come in. And then, um, just two other nutrients that Stacy talks about a lot is uh, magnesium and zinc. So uh, when we're getting ready to menstruate and you're building up that uterine lining, the magnesium and zinc is basically on high demand to build up that uterine lining. And what she has said in in one of her podcasts is if you take magnesium and zinc supplements or increase your food sources, okay, so that would be like red meat and legumes and uh, maybe nuts, that kind of stuff, take more of those, get more magnesium and zinc. Over two to three cycles, you might actually experience less cramping, hello, you know, and less symptomology with the PMSing um, going into your cycle. So that's another thing you could maybe look at.
0: You kind of mentioned being like proactive in thinking about what you need and kind of maybe preparing yourself, like being one step ahead to make sure you're getting that. So going along with that meal prep is a big thing, right? Whether people are busy with families or they're just trying to be one step ahead and proactive with their dietary and nutrition needs and stuff like that. Do you have a favorite way to meal prep for a big training week? um, You know, and just like uh, tips for people on how to like com- compartmentalize how to approach this because i feel like i know i've tried a few different approaches and it's always okay but like nothing ever sticks so do you have something else that i can try and maybe this will be the, the one that sticks <laughs> i love it um well i have
2: a running joke that you know when i was little they didn't call it meal prep they called it leftovers <laughs> <laughs> so so good. Do what your parents did and make a big fat batch of soup or meatloaf or lasagna or taco meat or whatever it is. Make a big thing of pasta, whatever, and have leftovers. I mean, it does not have to be this Pinterest worthy, fancy schmancy new, you know, with garnishes and drizzle of this and that and these like, I don't know, nuts that they gather In the rainforest that have all these great like advantages. Like it's, I mean, you guys, the food world has gotten so convoluted. Um, that's my advice is let's simplify it. Let's come back to what do you know how to make? And this literally is where I'll start with athletes. What are some of your favorite meals that you know how to make that makes more than one serving? And we'll go through that and we'll usually come up with a list of 10 meals. Okay. So now plan on making at least one of those meals every week. So you get to pick from this list of 10. I mean, that gets you through over a couple months worth of not having boredom the same thing over and over, right? So then you kind of go through that and you could reasonably fill in the gaps with, you know, sandwiches for lunch, um, eggs for, for breakfast or for lunch, very simple kinds of snacks and things, you know, getting that stuff on board so that you can fill in the gaps. Something I will personally do is get rotisserie chicken And my husband and I will just, one of us will stand there in the kitchen and just take it all off the bone and put it in a container. We'll eat some for dinner that night that we got it. And then the rest of the week it's used for salads and sandwiches and tacos and, you know, you name it. I like making huge batches of beans in the Instapot. So it could just be cooking the beans plain so that you can add them to salads. You can, um, you know, put them in wraps and different things. Or I might make like, uh, you know, a spicy black beans or or make a soup that has beans in it. Um, One, because it's another protein source that, you know, I think sometimes we get so reliant on animal protein sources that we tend to neglect beans, lentils, even tofu and, and tempeh and some of these others. So finding ways to kind of vary your protein sources and beans, just you can cook a huge batch and use them in so many different ways. What else do I... Trying make. I'm trying to think of any others is that helping you at all Alyssa for or? sure no
0: I like that approach because it is I do get I mean hook line and sinker all fall into the Instagram wormhole and be like I gotta find my like rosemary and thyme and be like brushing <laughs> like I don't have my brush to like brush on the olive oil I'm using a paper towel this is a disaster you know and like yeah my head goes there instead of like you said think leftovers think one meal and then like stretch that right and fill in the gaps I love that so I'm definitely gonna, yeah. I can try that yeah and then the two components
2: that I usually find people have people struggle with are protein because if you think about most proteins they need to be cooked they need to be prepared and seasoned in some way and then vegetables because again they need to be prepared i mean fruit is super easy you just you know basically peel it and eat it or don't peel it and eat it and it's easy mm-hmm. um you know grains are very easy to find and to eat and so it's easy to get like bread or tortilla or you know, even just some instant rice boxes, people tend to, you know, or pasta, those cook really quickly. And so they're not hard for people to fit into their diets. And then dairy, of course, is very easy, doesn't take any prep either. So the, the protein and the vegetable sources are the two places I'll usually start for people to kind of just think ahead a little bit. It doesn't, it doesn't take much, much time to prep that stuff. Keep it simple.
1: Aaron, we do want to shift gears a little bit and hear about your athletic background because you did recently retire from professional triathlon. You raced Ironman Arizona in 2019, which I read that and I'm like, that wasn't that long ago, but it feels like so long ago. But how has that transition been going for you? Oh, it's, it's good. Don't take that sigh as a bad thing. I
2: think because it's hit me in so many ways that I didn't expect I actually decided I was going to retire in December of 2018. Um, So I went into my 2019 season knowing this, this is it. And there were a lot of factors that went into that decision. Um, I'd been a pro for six years and, you know, now I'm 38. I was turning 37 at the time. And I was just like, you know, it just feels right. Like, I feel like I have had a great experience. It's been totally enriching. I've gotten to see some really cool things and meet cool people. So I just felt like there was another phase of my life that was kind of knocking on the door and inviting me to like, you know, come try something new. So 2019 was a really interesting season. My, I remember having a conversation with my coach and she was like, Marilyn Chakota is my, was my coach for the last two years. And she's like, I don't want you to have one put out the door here. Like we're, if, if you want this to just be like a fun year and you don't really like, you know, care too much about results. We can do that. But if you really want to give it your all on your last year, let's do it. So I did. And thank goodness. I took that conversation to heart and I gave it like every time I, there were a lot of workouts that were harder for me than they were in the past. Like that, that mental engagement just kind of started to wane, And I just wasn't sure that, you know, I really wanted it this badly anymore. Um, but I gave it everything anyway, and I'm so glad I did because I felt like I had the total closure that I needed going through 2019, knowing that like every race I did was like, okay, you know, your your days are limited in this space, like experiencing this and being in the good and the bad and the everything in between, right? And now look at where we are, where... I don't know what I would be doing mentally if I was trying to make this my last season because it's so painful for so many people that have that desire to race and all the races are, are gone. So I feel very grateful. And I, I've had a couple, um, transitions since then where I went full-time consultant. So I've had my business since, uh, 2015, but I actually turned it into, um, a full-time consulting business. And I left my job, um, that I was working at for over 11 years, um, to really focus on being an entrepreneur full-time. So here I am with Aaron Green, racing and nutrition. And it's, going very well. I was, I still am scared like every day, you know, what, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm kind of making some of this stuff as I go, but it's been really enriching. And it's, I feel like it's effectively taken the place of a lot of the learning that happened in, in triathlon for me. Um, now that's not to say that I still don't have that competitive desire because I think it's still there. I had gravel races on my calendar actually that I was going to do this year and I was really gunning for that. And of course, you know, there's one that I'm kind of holding out hope that might happen in October, but I'm kind of doubtful. I have started feeling the desire to race and to do something, do something epic or do something really challenging. I've felt that starting to come alive in me again, which is really cool because it shows me that that's always going to be a part of me and just because I decided to say farewell to pro triathlon doesn't mean that I can't do all of these other cool adventures um mainly with my husband which bless him he was like full-on supporter and on you know kind of on the sidelines and like following me around to races for years and now he has an adventure buddy so it's been really fun do you feel like
0: your time as a professional triathlete and like the managing uncertainty and nerve and like putting yourself in these situations where we just don't know how the day will end up like season after season, right? For six years you did that. So do you feel like that gave you confidence you might not have had otherwise to go and be an entrepreneur and leave that job you've had for 11 years? Oh, totally. Totally. I mean, there's so much
2: that I've learned to process and that I've matured. Um, Of course, I used to say, oh, I've matured so much as an athlete. I've matured, you know, I've learned so much. I can handle stress better and you know, you, you can talk your way through things. And it took me, I think until like last year and maybe a little bit the year before realizing that, Whoa, this has changed me as a human, like as a professional, um, as a wife, as a friend, just the way I can view, like you said, whatever the day kind of throws at you. Um, and that's super cool to be given that gift through something as, you know, meaningful and, and as exciting as uh pro racing and triathlon. So um, yeah. And I, I still will use a lot of the lessons that I learned through triathlon in my daily life, like time management, you know, and like, like I'll be thinking through
1: kind of transitions <laughs> in daily life. Erin, you also co-host a podcast called Middleish. Can you tell us about it? Yeah. So
2: Middleish was, um, basically born out of a friendship that I have with Michael Gray. He's a personal trainer and we, To be honest, we've only been in the same room or spent time together in person, like maybe two or three times in our lives, but we've known each other for, um, I guess it's been over 10 years and he, he, our philosophies jive and he kept kind of reaching out to me and saying, we should collaborate on something. Like we just have, we crack jokes together. We have good chemistry. Like we kind of believe the same types of principles. Let's do this. And it just so happened, so he moved away from Ontario, Oregon, which is very close to Boise. He moved to Texas last year. And it just so happened, he reached out literally two weeks after I left my job and went full on entrepreneur. And he was like, hey, I don't know what your schedule is like these days, (laughs) but but I'd still be willing to work with you on something. And so we just started calling and talking every week and kind of just talking through this, like what are the possibilities? And he threw out a podcast and we were like, neither of us knew, what how to do a podcast, what, how are we going to do this and the equipment and whatever. And we just started kind of ticking boxes every week. We'd do a little research. We'd um, get a little closer. We'd come up with a logo. We'd come up with a name. Michael did all that, by the way, (laughs) the logo, the name, like everything. He's awesome. Um, and we really just wanted to approach it as uh, moderation in all things. So let's talk about not just diet and fitness, but, you know, we've talked about um, building routines and goal setting and body image. And I mean, there's a lot of things that you can really take kind of a, a middle-ish approach to. And that's
0: our, that's our shtick. I love that it's an ex Ironman pro triathlete. That is like touting her love of moderation because those are things you definitely don't hear going, you know, hand in hand too often. Um, but, Erin, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today and share your expertise. What is the best way for our listeners to find you and to reach out? Well, you can find me
2: on social, Erin um, Green on Facebook. I'm at MFEG on Instagram and um, I'm not very active on Twitter, so it probably wouldn't help to put that on there. But my website is eringreenracing.com. Is the MF? Does that stand for what I think it stands for? <laughs> yes. Yes, Haley. And I, I married into that name, so my husband was MFMG before I married in and got MFEG, and it just stuck. I mean, I can't even, I can't even claim <laughs>
1: what? claim notoriety for that one. After this conversation, I think it's well-deserved, well-earned, well-worn. Um, thank you so much, Aaron, for coming on and sharing so much wisdom today. We really look forward to more middle-ish, more Aaron Green, more MFEG Instagram posts. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a great conversation. The Iron Woman Podcast loves Gooder Sunglasses. They're made in recklessly fun colors and come in styles that actually look good.
0: My favorite is flamingos on a booze cruise. They have translucent pink frames and teal lenses that add a pop of color to all my workout clothes.
1: Gooder sunglasses are no slip, no bounce, and polarized. I raced in a pair of Gooders at the U.S. Olympic marathon
0: trials earlier this year. Gooder is generously offering our listeners nothing, nothing at all. Gooder sunglasses start at only $25 a pair, so no discounts are needed when they're already the most affordable performance shades on the planet. Go to gooder.com
1: forward slash feisty. That's G O O D R.com forward slash F E I S T Y. Check out the Live Feisty curated collection or pick up your own favorites. Look good, run gooder.
0: Haley, it only took a global pandemic for me to realize how much I truly appreciated swimming and to make open water swimming something I am actually eager to do. Then you'll be super excited
1: for our new 2020 partnership with Orca wetsuits. Alyssa, you and our listeners can get 15% off at orca.com with the code IRONWOMAN15.
0: This is meant to be. My first wetsuit I raced in was an Orca wetsuit actually, so I already know I like them.
1: I've been trying out their swim run wetsuit. Soon, I'll have no excuse not to race one of those events. Thanks to Orca for getting us set up to
0: tackle all the open water swim action. Don't forget, that's code IRONWOMEN15 at orca.com. So for our listeners, as we were kind of digging into that last part of the interview with Erin, where we talked to her more about her retirement from professional triathlon and moving on to other things in life, we realized that There is a lot more there, and we definitely want to be bringing Aaron back on to kind of have that as a podcast topic in itself. So definitely for our listeners, if you have questions or thoughts or anything that you would love to hear in that um, realm of like, it doesn't even have to be retiring from professional sport, but I think... A lot of us could struggle with the transition of kind of leaving your sport that you were like really focused all in on for some time and kind of moving on to other things in life and how that all works and just thoughts around that. So if you have questions for Erin or things that you want us to ask her about all of that, please send them in to the mailbag, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com, because we are planning to have Erin back with that as a podcast topic. In our mailbag, it might be quite full these days.
1: Also, we're inviting you to enter our contest, our giveaway with Zelio Skincare, right into that same address, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. You can write in with a question and tell us about your challenge and enter the contest. Um, but that is uh, to enter to win a tube of active recovery, race relief, cold therapy gel. Tell us what challenge you are taking between now and August 23rd, what kind of athletic challenge you've done. And that you might need some uh, recovery, active recovery, race relief gel to help you recover from that challenge. And, um, and then as always, if you have questions about endurance sport or life, professional triathlon, um, if you play a musical instrument, write into our podcast and let us know. And I will try our best to either feature you or answer your question. IronWomenPodcasts at gmail.com. We love a full
0: mailbag. All right, Haley. Well, I hope that the algae disappears and you can have a great um, swim this weekend, but I look forward to, to hearing the outcome one way or another next week, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye, Alyssa. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Taylor Mahan Rudolph. Thank you to our sponsors,
1: Zelio Skincare, Noon Hydration, Form Swim Goggles, and Orca Sportswear, as well as the Live Feisty Patreon community. You can find websites and discount codes in our show notes or at ironwomenpodcast.com.